Hi, this is James Joker, host of Webcomics Reviews and Interviews. Today, it's Why Critics Suck. So sit back, relax, and let the Geek Fest begin. One of the problems with being a critic is that you have to realize that your criteria for something is going to change based on whatever you're reviewing. Plus, whatever you're ultimately reviewing is going to be seen from an entirely different perspective than what somebody else is going to be looking at. It's sort of like consider Penny Arcade, Dresden Kodak, and Girl Genius for a sec. All three of these are really great webcomics. But if I were to look at them from the same list of criteria, I would be getting three entirely different ratings for them. I mean, ridiculously different. We're not just simply talking a uh, three and a half versus five type situation. We'd be talking more of a two versus a five situation. And think about what I'm saying there for a second. Take Girl Genius. Let's go with that as pretty much a five out of five, just for the sake of argument. And yeah, it's pretty much earned it. You've got some incredibly layered writing. You've got some incredibly beautiful artwork. And you've got... It basically delivers every gag out there. On top of that, it also has a serious aspect to it. And if I were looking at something that's going to be long-lasting, yeah, this is definitely going to be something that you're going to see pretty much forever because it's just a really cool piece of art. However, if I start looking at Penny Arcade, well, the problem I've got with it is that while it is a really great webcomic, at the same time, there starts getting the question of intrinsic value. That is, does the Penny Arcade have something really cool that's going to be lasting forever and ever? And while the comic has changed a lot, I mean, in terms of continuity, in terms of characters, yeah, it's got some of the same basic character designs, don't get me wrong, but there are certain elements of the comic that have changed since its inception way back when. And with Penny Arcade, we literally mean way back when. It's one of the older webcomics out there. But at the same time, there's nothing really, there's usually nothing really deeper than what you're seeing. Sure, there's a little bit of symbolism, there's a little bit of fun there, and the comics are definitely going to have a lot of playback later on because they're pretty much universal. You know, when they poke fun at something, they go full bore at it. It's absolutely fun to watch. But at the same time, while it's still a great webcomic, it's not quite up there on girl genius standards. That is, if I were to look at it from the same level, the same list of criteria that I would apply to girl genius and try to apply that to Penny Arcade, it'd be found wanting on a lot of different levels. Then you've got Dresden Kodak, which is an incredible little webcomic. It's, I mean, I know it's pretty popular, but at the same time, it's one that doesn't come up in a lot of conversations. However, when it comes down to it, part of the reason is because it's got a surreal element to it. It has absolutely no problem going off track to explore weird stuff on way off on the side. And it, artwork just isn't quite up to what you see in either Penny Arcade or Girl Genius. So if I were to apply the same criteria that I did the other two comics, Dresden Kodak would be found wanting on a lot of levels. So the question is... Do I apply the same criteria to every comic, or do I look at every comic on its own merits? And that's sort of where it gets fun as a critic. Making it more interesting is, like to point out, sometimes I'll be looking at something from a perspective as a critic that a reader will be looking at it from the perspective of, well, a reader. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just you have to keep in mind that there's two entirely different perspectives on it. Because as a critic, I'm looking for, does it have some sort of intrinsic value? Does this comic have something that's deep and meaningful that will apply to pretty much everyone? That is, is it art? 
whatever that means. And trust me, that's a question for an entirely different podcast. You'll probably never get it from me either. So don't hold your breath on it. There's reasons. However, a casual reader, or even a fanatic reader for that matter, is trying to get something entirely different. They're not trying to get something that's going to have an impact on their life. Or something that's going to be incredibly life-changing to the point of, oh my gosh, I need to get myself to a nunnery now type of thing. No, they're just looking for something to be entertained and something that they can get behind and something that they like. They're looking for something that they can connect with the characters on a fundamental level. In a lot of ways, that's what something I'm looking for as a critic too, but I'm looking for a lot more than just that connection. I'm looking to see is if this is actually world-changing, if there's something that is so incredibly fantastic about this comic that it's just going to stand up and shout in the wilderness and be surrounded by incredible numbers of followers, at least ideally. And that difference in perspective, that is, somebody who's just looking for entertainment versus somebody who's looking for, is this world changing, sets apart the critic from the reader on a lot of levels. It means that I'm looking for a lot more from a comic than a reader is. No matter how incredibly fanatic, no matter how much you love your comic, the critic is going to be looking for something entirely different. And that is sort of what causes the conflict, especially when you start looking at review sites like IMDb or Rotten Tomatoes. That's a conflict between the casual viewer and the critic. This is not to say, however, that I as a reader, and yeah, I actually used to play reader a lot. This is not to say that I don't have problems with critics myself. I thought it'd be sort of interesting to take a look back and, well, look at some major mistakes I see a lot of critics doing and have a little bit of fun and go after them for a little bit. This doesn't mean I'm not going to attack a couple of artists here and there. Trust me, I've got a couple whole sections that are nothing but where I've got to make fun of artists. But when it comes down to it, yeah, expect this is not going to be something your critics are going to love. Especially if it's one of your really hoity-toity, highfalutin critics who has absolutely no problem bringing out the German and French. They're going to hate me. And I have no problem with that. So, let's start this off with looking at the German and French connection. Note that I'm not making fun of French or Germany or their respective languages. Uh, one of those people who took four years of French and, yeah, I know probably just enough French to get me into trouble. The key here, though, is a lot of critics are more interested in trying to appear to be a critic rather than actually being a critic. What this means is that they're trying to sound like what you expect a critic to do. They're trying to judge something like they think people are expecting critics to judge things like. And generally speaking, they're trying to appear to be a critic more than trying to actually be a critic. When I start throwing around terms like pseudo-intellectual, yeah, that's exactly the kind of person I'm looking at. These are people who are more interested in trying to appear educated than actually being educated, and it shows, you know? This is where the French-German thing comes in. Rather than trying to use a lot of simple, easy-to-understand words, they tend to throw a lot of foreign language into it. Admittedly, with film, you tend to see this with a lot of, like, mise-en-scenes and schoidenfrude, you know, I've actually had a critic refer to a slightly larger-than-normal female as Zaftig, and you see it a lot. You know, it sort of amazes me that you occasionally will see a critic actually refer to a woman in a movie as 
plump. I don't understand why that's even a matter nine times out of ten. It, instead of saying, and they'll actually use the word zaftig. Why bother going to another language for describe a physical appearance when a physical appearance doesn't really matter past a certain point? You know, it's you're worried about too many of the inconsequentials and you're trying to worry more about appearing than you worry. You know, that doesn't make any sense. These are the people that when I say that the critics should be shot after like five years, yeah, these are those people. These are people that have gotten so used to seeing something, they've gotten so jaded by what they see on screen, that they tend to forget that they need to be looking at this from the reader's perspective, sorry, the viewer's perspective first. And that applies to pretty much any form of art. You see a lot of people who do all these really weird, convoluted mismatches of language and all that, but they're not actually critiquing what they're actually watching. They're just giving some sort of what they think they're expected to do. These people should have quit being a critic a long time ago. I mean, it's just... You've got people who have fun with being a critic who are do it because there's an exploration of the art, seeing what people can do, can see what people have tried and what is hit and what is missed. And then you've got people who are just simply... Well, I think there's a certain level of prestige available to being a critic, and so I'm going to be going for that prestige. Yeah, the only problem is that your prestige as a critic is based on you actually doing the job. And so I think that if you're going to be a critic, you need to be a fan of the actual form of art. You just can't get away with the whole, you know, throwing 57 different foreign words up there and hoping it actually makes some sort of actual review, you know? The surest way, by the way, you can tell these people is it, remember how I'm saying that different things require different criteria? Yeah, this is sort of because they apply the same criteria to pretty much everything. Without realizing that not everything is going to work out for everyone. I'm going to basically see a major swipe at a personal favorite director. And yeah, I'm referring to the Martin Scorsese mess. Here's the problem with Martin Scorsese. I love the guy as a director. The guy has some incredibly phenomenal stuff out there. He's got some great film. However, the problem is, is that recently he took a swipe at Marvel Films pointing out that they're just theme parks, you know? Trying to basically point out that they're just entertainment and that's it. And worse than that, they basically tend to be more interested in making money than they do actually making art. Well, here's sort of the reality check. When we start dealing with films, yeah, if you're not worried about making some sort of profit, then you're going to find out real quick that you are not going to be making films for very long. And this guy has a career that spans almost 50 years. Think about that for a second. Actually, I think it does a little bit more than 50 years. So he's done stuff that he's specifically done that to make a profit. And he's done other stuff, like A Shark Tale, for example. And he's also done a lot of other stuff that's straight art. I mean, this is somebody like Taxi Driver. You know, this guy's done some incredibly phenomenal stuff. But this is sort of where the whole, some not all things are for everyone. You can't judge every movie by the same criteria that if I were used for something else. I can't judge, even as much as I love the Marvel movies, I can't judge them by the same criteria as I do, say, Taxi Driver. Taxi Driver is an intense character-driven movie that you have to judge it by the character, not by the plot. Because trust me, if you drive, go by the plot, 
it's really th- threadbare there. There's almost like no real plot. You know, you've got a guy falls in love, guy develops a stalker crush, guy basically tries to assassinate somebody, and yeah, there's no real. That's the whole entire plot. There's no nuances there as far as you know ultra symbolism or anything like that. It's just a straightforward. This is a really incredible character study. I can't compare that to, say, something like Civil War because Civil War is an epic. You know, there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of ridiculously moving parts all over the place. There's plots within plots, and there's... It's when you want to say Shakespearean, this is it. You've got everybody doing something, and everybody's working on their own little plots, and you coming into this major, huge, epic thing of good versus evil, and it turns out that... It's good versus good. You know, there's a lot of weirdness in Civil War that you just can't compare to Taxi Driver. And to try to compare the two on a one-on-one basis just isn't going to work. You have to judge those two movies on their own criteria and whether or not they're a great movie or not. And whether or not they're going to end up passing some sort of you know time test. Personally, I think Civil War will. I'm not saying that all the Marvel movies will. Don't get me wrong in this. There are some that are just simply straight romps. You know, I love Ant-Man. I love Ant-Man and Wasp. Don't get me wrong, but those are straight romps. Those are great movies, but they're not great, incredible, oh my gosh, movies. That's more like Civil War. Although, you know, Black Panther, that sort of thing. On the other hand... It just you have to keep in mind that a lot of times not all critics are going to love all types of movies and it's going to be pretty obvious. Personally, I think that if you as a critic don't like a particular genre, you need to stay away from that particular genre. You know? If you don't like kiddie movies, don't watch kiddie movies. Pretty simple. More importantly though, if you don't like something and you're going to stay away from it, you need to basically not review it. Straight up. If you're not going to bother to get into the genre, or it's more accurately the movies of that genre, and if you're not going to basically be willing to give that thing a fair shake, then it's time to move on. And you're going to see this with pretty much, again, any type of art. I'm just going with movies because it's pretty much the big obvious one right now. But it applies just as much to any type of art. You know? You've got people who do not like yaoi-type comics. They don't like it when they have two guys in love or two women in love. That's fine. Don't read them. You don't have to. Nobody's forcing you to. And if somebody is forcing you to, please notify the police immediately. It's just straight up. If you don't like something, if you don't like action adventure, don't read action adventure comics. If you don't like superheroes, don't read Marvel DC. If you like, if the only thing you don't, if the only thing you like is westerns. Then just read Westerns. Fine. Get well known for everything within the Western realm and do that. That's fine. You know, you people have got to get over this. You've got to like everything. No, you don't. There's a certain point where you don't have to respect everything. You don't have to like everything. You don't have to enjoy everything. You know? It's, to put that kind of criteria to say that you have to do that is bogus. There's going to be 57 different reasons people don't like or respect superhero movies or superhero comics or superhero art. That's fine. I understand this. 
Here in the United States, superheroes are seen as basically a little form of art. And that's fine. They deserved it. I mean, straight up. It was originally created for... I mean, when we're looking at the actual... What people consider comic books. That is, the actual superhero genre. We're looking at stuff that has gone since World War II. And it was used pretty much for propaganda back then. Then it got simpler... Then it got a little bit more complex with the EC comics. Then it got simpler again thanks to basically uh, Seduction of the Innocent. And it's just now starting to actually come back to being lit. So I can understand why there'd be some hesitance and some definite prejudice against that particular genre. So like I said, if you don't respect superheroes, if you don't like them, you don't enjoy reading about superheroes, then don't read them. That simple. Go on to something else. But at the same time, don't critique the superheroes. It's something you're not going to enjoy. You know, you're going to basically go in and try to give this really great crit- critic reading, and you're not going to watch it or read it or otherwise in- have some sort of encounter with it. Then, what exactly is the value of your critique on the particular subject matter? It's just I don't understand the concept of putting out any kind of comment on something that you personally don't enjoy to some degree. I mean, if you there's a logical reason and there's some really good reasons for it, fine. But if it's just something you don't like and you decide not to read it and you're trying to purposely avoid it, then why would I listen to your comments on it? If you have no history within that particular field, what exactly is your relevance? And this goes back, unfortunately, to Scorsese's comments because he pointed out that he actually has not watched any of the MCU movies. So exactly, where exactly is his comments coming from? You see what I'm saying? Again, incredible director, and there's absolutely no question that Hollywood and the world in general definitely owes this guy a huge debt. Don't get me wrong on that by any stretch of the imagination here. I'm just questioning specifically why he would say anything about superhero movies if he doesn't like the genre, if he's not watching the movies, And, bottom line, he just simply doesn't get into them, you know? It just doesn't make any sense to me. That's another problem with being a critic, is that occasionally you need to realize that you're not into something and you need to back off and just simply pass it to somebody else, preferably without comment. Along those lines, I don't see any value in doing critiques if you're coming at this from some sort of particular bias. If you're a feminist and you're doing a critique for of a particular comic, specifically as a feminist, things are going to get really dicey really quick. And think about this for a moment. You're looking at this specifically in order to determine what value this has from you as a feminist perspective. And that's going to get all sorts of weird because exactly how would you look at, say, something like Superman where it's a male character in the lead All the women characters are by necessity going to be playing a secondary supporting role. And even the best female role isn't going to be quite equal to Superman out of necessity for that particular book. This isn't... I'm just like, screw it. Think about that for a second. Superman is the star. Ergo, Superman has to be the most powerful, the most used, and basically the most popular person in that particular book. Every other character, male or female, is going to be second banana to that no matter how incredibly powerful or popular they themselves are. From that perspective, 
Superman is not going to be the world's greatest book for a feminist review of. Now, if you want to look at the genre as a whole and go after it that way, go for it. You know, I'm obviously not going to prevent you from doing that. In fact, I've already pointed out in the podcast and article after article that there has to be a better balance in, in the industry as a whole than there currently is. But what I'm looking at is looking at a specific comic from a particular vantage point, from a different, from a very specific perspective, is something that you really have to question and the critics need there. That is, going after a Green Lantern because of the refrigerating of women, fine. That's perfectly legit. There's absolutely no question in the end. You know, I, in fact, in all honesty, I shouldn't be justifying my position on this. This is a straightforward. Sometimes you got to point out what is what. And it's a jerk point, but, you know, if I'm looking at women being fridged, that's one thing. There's absolutely no question that the only reason you should introduce a character into a story, especially of a woman, for the sake of just killing her off in order for some sort of emotional payoff, yeah, that's wrong. That's lazy writing. There's absolutely no question that this is a practice that needs to stop. And although I understand the reason for it, at the same time, it's a practice that definitely needs to stop. But at the same time, looking at every instance of a woman being in danger as fridging the woman is ridiculous. Because at some point, you're going to straight up think about this for a bloody second. If you're going to put a woman on the front line of combat, which is a necessity of if men and women are to be considered equal, then that means women have to fight just as much as men do. And if women are fighting just as much as men do, that means they have to take the exact same lumps as guys do. So if a woman gets into a combat and they don't come out with, you know, a broken arm, a couple of bruises, they don't come out in the slightest wound at all, what was the point of putting her into combat? Especially if the guys are like all injured and some of them are even dying. Why are you treating her separately than you are they? And is there, you know, how is that equal? How is that trying to express that the woman is equal to the guys? And I'm pointing this out because on the women in refrigerator site, they actually list everything wrong that's ever happened to a female character. And in all honesty, if I did that with some of the guys, let's get real. Spider-Man would take some of these entries, and I mean even the longer entries, and go, hey, that's just a standard week. You know, depowerment, you know, broken leg, lost my life, or lost my wife, almost lost my aunt, took major bone injury, got in trouble with my boss yet again. You know, this is like, that's like a standard week for Spider-Man. And we start looking at Batman or Superman, again, we start noticing it. If we were to list every little thing they did as an affront to that particular uh, gender, this would be a problem. Yeah, I get the point. Don't get me wrong. It's just I'm trying to point out that you can't have equality between the two sexes if at the same time you're treating the women differently than you are the men. If you're always going to enforce that there's got to be a difference between how you treat men and women, then the two of them will never be equal and never be considered equal. It's just sort of a weird situation. So when you start looking at it from a... And this applies to pretty much any bias anywhere. You know, if you're looking at how a comic treats 
the gay characters versus the non, and it's not blatant. You know, sometimes a writer will not have a gay character in the strip simply because they don't feel comfortable with the political backlash. That is, if it's found out that the person is straight, sometimes it's looked at as, why are you bothering to write a gay character in the first place? And you'll actually see people nail the writer because of that. Because that person is being nailed for writing a gay character, even though he's straight, you basically have a lack of diversity in a lot of comics. You have a problem that some critics have absolutely no problem going after writers because of writing characters that they feel the writer has no right to write about. You know, if you're a white straight male, you shouldn't be writing about pretty much anybody else who's not white straight or male. If you're a black lesbian, you shouldn't be writing anybody who's even Mexican because you lack that experience. That's not how writing works. When people say write what you know, they don't mean write on your very limited experience. What they're talking about is try to universalize what you know so everybody else can understand where you're coming from. They look at, Writers should be writing everybody because everybody is just an aspect of another. I hate going biblical on this, but a weird way of looking at it is that we are all a reflection of God. And if we're not going to basically be looking at each one of those individual reflections, looking to see what we see in them and how that applies to ourselves, then we're missing out on a lot of really cool stuff. And that's a matter of looking at each other, looking for those reflections. It's just an easier way of pointing out that you and me are pretty much equal. I don't care what your background is. Well, I will be making some exceptions, but, you know, if you're a racist or homophobic, then yeah, I will be making some exceptions there. But the basic point here is that I should feel free as a writer to write anybody I want to write. And this applies to anybody. If you're a black lesbian and you want to write about Alaskan males going out on a hunt, and you've never actually been in Alaska, or for that matter, even on a hunt, hey, time to do some research. Time to look up some footage. Time to have some fun with it. We have to allow that people will write about other people that they have no obvious connection to, because let's get real, sometimes it's sort of a fun challenge, and sometimes it's looking back at that reflection. We know that everybody is essentially an image of God. And yeah, I know that's a weird way of looking at it, but... You're not looking at, if you're looking to really understand humanity as a whole and trying to develop some really interest, delve into some really interesting mysteries, hey, you're going to have to explore other people's lifestyles at some point. And one of the cool things about doing writer is you can do it vicariously. So I don't see why people should be limited to writing just who they are. That would be boring. And if we do have to have a writer for each and every individual type of person, you're talking about some bullpens or getting it ridiculously full really quick. So, yeah, I think that basically we need to, to a degree, stop looking at the individual slice that happened in people and just start looking at, hey, bad things are going to happen to good people. And hopefully worse things will happen to bad people. It's... You know, we need to get over it to a certain degree. As much as I hate using that particular phrase. Then, of course, there's the flip side of all that. That is, if we're looking at people are 
attempts what's basically what they consider to be missing, sometimes they'll critique too harshly what is actually there. What I'm sort of looking at is that a lot of people are going after comics right now because there's way too many politics that are present in them. You know, you've got way too many people that are trying to push some sort of diversity agenda and they're trying to push, you know, particular viewpoints and all that and this is a bad thing for comics. No, no it's not. Comics have been political since day freaking one. When we start looking at Superman, the first thing he goes after is he goes after a wife beater. And we're not just talking this cute little tank cop thing. We're talking somebody who's actually abusing, he's actually disciplining, and I hope you saw the air quotes, his wife. Yeah, that's a political statement from day one. Since then, we've seen Captain America punch Hitler, which is arguably one of the top ten covers ever. We've seen heroes that have been nailed because of beating their wives. Hank Pym will never live that down. We've seen pretty much anything out there. And the bottom line is, is that, yes, politics are a necessary part of any particular art. You know, you've got some artists that do tend to go a little bit overboard, don't get me wrong. But when it comes down to it, if you honestly believe that we need to have less of something in our art... Yeah, I can think of some things I'd really like to see less of. Like racism, for example. Homophobia. Yeah, I'd really like to see a lot less of that. I'd really hate to see bashing people just because they're different than you on on any particular level. If I can see that from less on the hero side, I would love to see that. But if it's somebody going after their politics and having fun with it, I say go for it. This allows everybody to basically get a general glimpse of what that person's perspective is. You know, we get back to that reflection of God thing. You can't really enjoy somebody's actual perspective unless they actually show it somehow. And the easiest way to do that is by letting them show it through their comics. People need to have a little bit of fun with it, and they need to have some level of self-expression. Because straight up, some of our greatest comics out there are pretty much nothing more than exploring political themes. Well, Marvel Comics Civil War, for example, questioning to what degree do you allow for security? That is, do you have everybody register, or do you just have, because obviously everybody with superpowers is going to have be some sort of weapon, or do you allow that basically registering people has some severe issues with it? The only thing I suggest here is that I'd really like to see a little less bashing and a little bit more story development or character development. Um, I think one of the things that's starting to drive me nuts is seeing how badly conservatives tend to get bashed in various comics. Yeah, I'm not saying they don't deserve it and that we have a lot of reprehensible things that do come out of the conservative area. But, so I'm not saying, hey, stop it, or I'm just simply saying... Be aware you can't have conservative people that aren't necessarily evil. It'd be sort of fun to see somebody that basically actually is a little bit more conservative than the rest of the group and they're not being bashed for it. Straight up, in any organization, you need to have people that hold people back and you have to have people that push them forward. That's a necessary tension in order not just for really great conflict, but it's also a necessary group dynamic. Sometimes you need to charge forward. Sometimes you need to hold back. That's just good tactics you know you don't always want to be charging forward because the more you charge forward 
the more likely you are to basically get to have something really bad happen to you that you didn't see coming up. Occasionally, you need to step back and say, hey, will this create other problems that we're not foreseeing? That's where you need your conservative characters. You need somebody to ask, is this something we should really be pursuing? Is there going to be potential problems that we're not seeing? And is there a way to do something about those problems before they actually become problems? That's the kind of character you need when it comes to having a conservative character. And you're not really seeing a lot of that. You're seeing way too many characters that are way too progressive and way too, well, charged forward into the future. Again, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be charging into the future. I'm just saying we need to occasionally hang back and see if there's potential issues. And that's sort of where, if you're trying to do a political comment, that's where you should be exploring is that line right there of should it be done and are there potential problems and explore those problems. I mean, you have no idea how many people do the whole, we're going to make this a political comic and they do nothing but liberal propaganda. So I'm sort of struck on the issue here. We definitely have a long ways to go on civil rights, and we definitely need to work on that, building that bridge. And we definitely have to have that as an end goal. But at the same time, we have to allow that we actually need to build something. We can't just simply fly off and hope things will settle on the way there. We've seen plenty of times where that's led to some really nasty stuff on both sides of the fence. We need to basically build some sort of bridge as we're going, and the only way we can do it is if we're actually thinking our way through. In that regard, if you're going to have a group that's basically trying to pave its way to the future, you're going to need somebody who's a little bit more conservative. And I'm not talking like hardcore, oh my gosh, we will never, we should never even bother type of person. Just somebody who's going to hold back the group a little bit. Act as a counterweight, if you will. Just something to consider. And if we're going to talk another form of bad critics, try to avoid any kind of critics that take money to do a review of your particular thing. I'm not saying editor. I'm, you know, if you're going to look at an editor, you're paying that person to look at whatever it is you're doing and tell you what the bad problems are. That's one thing. What I'm looking at are critics who actually accept money before they will do any kind of review. Yeah, here's the deal. Advertising, reviews, don't mix. When I was actually working on a newspaper, I did a review for a Russian restaurant. That, there were a lot of issues with the particular restaurant in question. It just simply wasn't up to code. There was, somebody was, apparently a Russian thing is to have, you know, cook mayonnaise and to the point where it actually separates. Yeah, that's a health code violation. That's got 37 different problems with it. So in the review, I basically point out that, yeah, the food's great. The only thing is to keep in mind that, you know, you may want to avoid certain foods because they're just not flavorful enough, that sort of thing. Perfectly legitimate review. It's just, you know, I know there's some differences between Russian and, say, American cuisine. Don't get me wrong in that. What we were looking for was, was the food actually good? And let's just say it was the Russian equivalent of a fast food place, done up buffet style. Well, I turn in the review, and later on I come back and find out that somebody's editing the review with the people that actually own the restaurant right there. Yeah, see, here's the problem. Reviews have to be honest, and reviews only have a weight equal to what their reputation equals. 
That is, if you've got a really good critic and somebody opinion you trust, that review will actually hold weight. On the other hand, if you basically go in and you do the reviews for the money, and that means all of a sudden you're letting whoever is paying the bills judge what the review is going to be, your reviews are useless. You know? There's absolutely no other way to put it. It's just straight up. If somebody's doing reviews for money, and that's the big draw, that is they're actually pointing out that while they review your comic for 20, 30, 40 bucks, whatever, run from that person. That is a bad reviewer. That is somebody you should not trust. If you're doing reviews for money, it's just there's, your word is going to be pretty much useless. Because your entire reputation, your entire review is based on how much money you're getting for that review. Yeah, I was not popular with the advertising crew after that one, especially considering they weren't really happy. The customer wasn't really happy, and I basically said, "Hey, this is everything." So, you know, just basically, if somebody's getting paid for reviews, just avoid them. If they're doing reviews cool and it's part of the paper, great. If they're doing reviews as part of their advertising, you know, they're doing the whole... They will do basically advertising for your comic on the same page we do the review. Here's how much it's going to cost. Yeah, just run. Yeah, some really great marketing, but you're getting a review by somebody whose review, whose word, has absolutely no weight. So judge accordingly. So yeah, you're getting your word out there. It's working great for your search engine optimization. But nobody's actually going to be reading the actual review. And if they are reading the review, yeah, those are probably not... Yeah, you're going to get readers off it fine. The question is, are these going to be long-term readers? Especially if they find out that your comic isn't up to whatever the review was. On the flip side of that, pay attention to when artists critique reviewers. Yeah, I mean, it's just, you've got some really great artists out there that do some really great, you know, this is what I agree with, this is what I disagree with. That's fine. Sometimes a reviewer will miss things. You know, I try to review 50 to 100 pages just so I can make sure everything's nice and consistent. And I find out that I'm actually doing a little bit more than that, so I'm like, you know, gold star to Jameis. But, you know, you've got people that are doing really quick reviews because of, out of necessity. They can't spend too much time on a review, especially considering they're trying to coordinate three or four other people's schedules so that way they can have some actual fun with it. So they're giving very lightweight reviews and there's going to be some problems with this. They are going to miss stuff. Heck, I miss stuff all the time. And I do, again, sometimes I'll accidentally read 250 pages on a webcomic because it's that cool. But the big point here is, at the same time, you as an, right, as an artist have to basically keep in mind that you need a little bit of a thick skin. If somebody says something bad about you, analyze what they're saying, figure out if it at least feels right from their perspective, and judge accordingly. Don't do the automatic jump into the whole, you're clueless, you have no idea what you're doing, and so on and so forth. Yeah, there are some people out there that know a lot more about comics and a lot more about art than I do. This is not a question. Uh, Pam Harrison is somebody I absolutely love and respect because of the fact she does know a lot about art than I do. Uh, I just, 
web comics I were didn't hesitate to review because the person obviously knew more than I do, like Phil Folio. You notice how often I bring up Girl Genius. The point here is that as a critic, we have to go with what we see. And sometimes, yeah, we're going to get into a disagreement with an artist based on that particular review. That's going to happen. You as an artist have to realize that this is how other people look at it, not you. Of course, you're going to think something is a genius work. That's natural. That's how everybody thinks of their children. How many times have you heard the response, don't take your work to your mother or other relative to let them critique it? Because nine times out of ten, you're not going to get an honest critique out of it. The same applies to what you yourself think. I'm sort of pointing this out because you've got a lot of artists who claim to do all these really cool artsy things. And because of that, those artsy things, it just doesn't come across all that well. Straight up. It, I really hate it when people do things just for the sake of art. It just never works out well because it just comes off as annoying, tripe, dreck. Whatever. You know, if you're doing things to explore cool stuff, art isn't just about simply doing a statue. There's got to be emotion to it. There's got to be passion to it. There's got to be a reason for you doing that particular statue other than you decided to do a statue of a horsey. You want to do art for art's sake? Ain't happening. Anybody who ever says that should be shot and should be shot repeatedly because that makes absolutely no freaking sense. It's just art has to have the passion. It has to have the emotion. It has to have a reason for being beyond just being a symbolic representation of something. If it's going to be a symbolic representation of something, it has to be an actual symbolic representation of something. It has to be representing something. And you have all these art who do the whole, well, I've done this symbolic representation of the horse. Okay, cool. What's that mean? What do you mean, what's that mean? It means exactly what I just said. Dude, you just said nothing. If Sometimes the critics won't get it, and that means that you as an artist miss something. Yeah, you're going to have critics who have absolutely no clue about what they're doing, and those people need to be shot. They need to be drummed out of service, so to speak. But at the same time, if you consistently get that people don't get your art and they get an entirely different perspective of it than you do, then you need to rethink what you're doing. Same applies to artists who like leaving things open at the end of the story. Yeah, sometimes it's work, sometimes it's a valuable point, sometimes it actually works. But nine times out of ten, it just simply says that you couldn't figure out a way to close off the story the right way. You know, if it's something that's sort of really cool and... If there's a big entry and it's going to possibly lead to a sequel, you know, sometimes that can be fun. Sometimes, however, in fact, most of the time, leaving things vague is, you've got, it's, I hate saying it, but it's straight bad sex. And yeah, you've got all these idiots who say there is no such thing as bad sex. Well, guess what? You hit me up with the foreplay, we get into a heavily romantic encounter, and then you leave me hanging at the end, by just walking out, yeah, that's pretty bad. And that's exactly what you've done if you've left it vague. You don't want to leave it vague way too often, or for that matter, even try that way. Sometimes there is a symbolic reason. Lady and the Tiger is a short story that if you that you, everybody needs to read because it's an absolute best way to leave something vague. Yet in that situation, it works. But 
if you're do, trying to do that on your own and you're just simply leaving it vague because you're trying to make some sort of artistic point or because you're trying to make people think, question, did you actually make people think? That is, did you lead everything up to a couple of questions or did you start going, you know, two different ways of possibly solving it and then you decided that you couldn't figure out which way you liked better? Straight up, if you're trying to make a point, go for it. If you're leaving it open because you can't make a decision... Flip a coin. I mean, end it. Nobody likes basically putting their hand up, hoping somebody else gives them a high five, and nobody gives them a high five. That's rude. If you make a point by doing your asking for the high fives way too much, stop it. That's cool. If you're just leaving, ignoring the fact that you got a hand up, ready to be high fived, same difference. If you know, end your stories if you possibly can. If you're going to leave it vague, give us reasons for making it vague. And yeah, I know, I just turned this into uh, why artists suck, but, you know, part of it. The bottom line here is that when it comes down to it, you need to realize that as an artist, your perspective is going to be different than the reader, which is going to be different from a critic. All three of you are looking at this from three different perspectives. Ideally, the artist is trying to make some sort of point. The reader is ultimately trying to be entertained and or enlightened. The critic is trying to see if there's some sort of really cool something about you, whatever the art is. And you need to realize that those are really easy to reconcile types of perspectives because, let's get real, a critic that's not trying to look for enlightenment entertainment as well as something important is a critic that shouldn't be doing it. And, yeah, there's a certain degree of truth that a lot of critics are failed artists. I mean, I have absolutely no problem with that analogy. But understand that being a failed artist doesn't necessarily mean that we lack artistic ability or that we lack artistic sense or that we're trying to basically totally screw over artists because of our personal bitterness or any of that. A lot of really great critics realize that in order to make the art better, you have to have somebody acting as some sort of critiquer. You need to have that criticism. You need to have things reviewed in order to figure out basically what's going on. Yeah, I can appreciate a lot of people have some really bad encounters with critics all the way back to kindergarten. That's fine. You know? But understand that just as it's important for the art to be made and for the art to be appreciated it also needs to be reviewed. And that's where the critics are. Yeah, we can suck. Don't get me wrong in that. And if we suck too much, we deserve whatever penalties we deserve for it. But understand that critique is a necessary part of the process. If you really want to have people appreciate your art, then it basically helps to have somebody look over it and see how it worked out. So we hate the critic. Don't you, um, If you want to hate us, go for it. I perfectly understand why. Trust me on this. But understand that there are some of us out there who love art and are trying to do our best with it. And the best way we can contribute to the world of art is sometimes just by acknowledging whether or not the art was work or if it's bad. I personally, for art, it's good. So, keep that in mind. Obligatory. If you like what you're hearing here, please check me out over on patreon.com slash twosferrostwo. Also check me out on Facebook. And we have a new thing. If 
you have an, something as an Alexa-enabled device, I have a flash brief available just for you. Once a day, you get something from me that will either give you an artistic tip, a marketing tip, or a daily affirmation. Yeah, there's like three tips, two marketing tips, and two affirmations per week. Have fun with it. That's Webcomics Review on Alexa. But please check, please become a subscriber over at patreon.com slash two sparrows. Thank you. Have a good evening.